Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the We're Having a Good Time podcast. My name's Dusty Slay. I'm your host, uh, and I'm here with my wife and co-host, Hannah Hogan. Hello. It's about 8.30 at night. Uh, Our kids are asleep. Uh, My father-in-law, Hannah's dad, is watching the baby. So we're trying to keep it quiet uh, so that we don't wake everyone up. We had a new studio built. And we waited a long time for a very solid door so that the sound would not escape. And it seems to just be the same as if we just had a curtain hanging. (laughs) And uh, I don't know what kind of money people spend to make things soundproof. Now, we didn't rip our walls out, existing walls, and add more insulation. We didn't rip the floor out and add more insulation. So there are those things. But I did, like last time we recorded, my niece was still here. And she was sitting below us. And she was like, yeah, I I just heard everything you guys said. And we weren't saying anything. But it's still like, well, I was hoping it'd be a little more soundproof than that. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it is what it is. Mm -hmm. We're sitting in a room. Talk. I don't even know why we have our kids in bedrooms. I mean, Daisy doesn't want to sleep in her room unless we fall asleep with her in there. And if she wakes up and no, I've been sleeping on a couch for uh, for a week because if Daisy wakes up and I'm not in there, she comes looking for me. And I would. But if I sleep in there, I can sleep till nine o'clock in the morning on a couch on a couch but i can sleep till nine o'clock in the morning mm-hmm. um before when i wasn't sleeping in there she was waking me up at like 5 a.m yeah um so i would rather sleep longer on a couch than sleep a short amount of time in a comfortable bed it's the age-old question and then would you rather get woken up multiple times in a comfortable bed or would you rather sleep eight hours on an uncomfortable couch yeah so now um you know, so that's what's going on. I went to the trampoline park today and I'm tired. Oh, but good news. It's all good news. We're all very happy. But uh, I took um, all of my merch mm. to my merch company today. I took a truck bed full of hats and shirts and a merch company will now officially be taking over my store. Now, the store, the online store is not going to happen right away. So if you look on there, everything's out of stock. But they're working on building me an online store, and they're going to be handling all of that. They will be in the future. It'll, it'll, you know, it'll be a bit of a process to get it going. But in the future, they will be showing up at all my shows to sell my merch Um, so I won't be selling my merch at shows in the near future. There'll probably be some weekends where I'm still doing it here and there while this gets started. Uh, but it's a big move. Uh, and hopefully Hannah made her last trip to the post office today. Mm -hmm. It's very exciting. I thank the postal workers for the services they've been giving us the past few years. Yeah. I mean, they've been very nice here in Hermitage. They're very nice. And in Mount Juliet, they're very nice. There is one guy who insists on continuing to wear a mask and he wears it, uh, uh, is improperly a word. He wears it. He wears the mask below his nose, almost below his mouth. (laughs) 
which is a move people would do when they were told to wear a mask but didn't want to wear the mask. Mm. So that would be like, yeah, I got it on. Okay. I've been known to wear the mask around the chin myself, but that's when I'm in the airport and they're making me wear it. Mm -hmm. You know, this guy doesn't have to wear it anymore, but he continues to wear it. And he got real complainy with me one day about taking in a bunch of boxes. That's how you can tell it's a government job and not a, a private company. A private company would love to see me coming in. They would be like, wow, this guy's keeping us in business. But these postal workers, for the most part, in Hermitage and in Mount Juliet, they're great. But this guy would tell me, at first, he found out I was a comedian, and he would tell me, like... um, you know, I'm not trying to be like the PC police around here or nothing, but he would tell me jokes like old men would tell me in the 90s mm -hmm. where it's like, all right, dude, like, you know, you tell that sitting around the campfire with a few beers. Don't tell it to me in the post office here yeah. in front of your other female co-workers. It would always be jokes like that where it's like, all right, dude, like you work for the government. Yeah. Try to lock it up. He was probably really cool in 1995. Yeah. He just doesn't know he's not cool anymore. And I like the guy all right. But as time went on, he just started to seem so jaded. And he, he kept me from wanting to go to the Mount Juliet post office. Mm. And the people at Hermitage, you know, they're a no-nonsense crew in there, but they're fun. You know what? Those ladies at the Hermitage post office, not into small talk. And I can't tell you how much I appreciate that. You know, it is great, especially at the post office. When you go in there with like, say, 10 packages, they got to type in all the addresses. They got to do all this. And if you got to stand there and kind of BS with them the whole time, it is painful because Oof. it goes beyond small talk. It's like, you know, small talk is a quick interaction. How you doing today? Good. Oh, getting prepared for Christmas. Oh, I know how that is. You have yourself a nice day. See yeah, you later. That sort of thing. But you're at the post office for 10 address key ins. That's too long. That's five long minutes. That's a set. Yeah. You, it's like, they, and they're not into it. Mm -mm. And I like that about mm -hmm. them. They're not into it. But, you know, I, I remember being in there one day, and I'm sure I've told this story before, but this this lady was real mad at them. And she goes, I'm taking my business to Chattanooga. And it's like, okay, it's still the post office. I mean, first off, these women don't care if you take your business to UPS. But they definitely don't care if you support the same post office just in a different city. Yeah, they don't care if you inconvenience yourself by driving two hours <laughs> yeah. to make a post office run. Yeah, it's like, I don't know how to tell you this, but there's a post office in Donaldson. Yeah. And they're a lot less friendly in Donaldson. It's like, oh, is that just an envelope? You can put that in your mailbox, <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, there are some unfriendly post offices, but Hermitage is a it's a no nonsense one, mm -hmm. but they're very nice in there. Mm, I'm gonna miss them. Yeah, and um, but yeah, I mean, in, there's a guy at the Hermitage one that was not very friendly to me for a long time, but then I showed up in the Titans uh, schedule release video, mm -hmm. and that guy loves me now. Mm -hmm. We're buddies now. Yeah, that guy's very respectful and uh, no nonsense with me as well. I overheard him talking one day about the 
TV show, The She-Hulk. Yeah. You know how they did that last year? Yeah. And I overheard that he was a big fan of this show. And he was talking to this other gentleman that was using the post office. And he said that he thought that the She-Hulk was a very attractive lady. And um, that's Tatiana Malsley, Canadian. And uh, that was the only time I've ever heard anybody say that she was attractive because people seem to complain that she wasn't hot enough. But the guy at the post office thought she, he actually said she was beautiful. Well, my understanding of She-Hulk, and I have not watched this show and never will. Um, but um, my understanding of She-Hulk, the comic book, was that it came about in a time where there was not a lot of this, you know, kind of public attractiveness kind of thing like this, where it's like the She-Hulk men that love comic books mm -hmm. suddenly got this like attractive, hotty, hot w comic book. So they would look through and it would be like scandalous almost to mm -hmm. look through. And I did not think what they did that this She-Hulk TV show was particularly attractive because they wanted to put a feminist spin right. on a character that was not in and as far as I know, designed to be that, mm -hmm. you know, and then the thing that bothered me and I watched some kind of reviews videos about it. The thing that bothered me the most about the She-Hulk is like she like suddenly gets these powers and like is beating up the Hulk, the 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 regular Incredible Hulk. And I got a problem with that the entire Marvel series, the whole time. All they do is use the Hulk as a punching bag. The Hulk is the biggest, baddest dude of them all, and they use him as a punching bag. Thanos beats him up. Iron Man beats him up. Thor beats him up. It's like they use him to show how strong the other characters are. And that's why I felt felt like they went wrong in, in, in Avengers Endgame when they uh, didn't let Hulk finally be the Hulk he needed to be. Mm -hmm. Captain Marvel came in and like, I, in my opinion, ruined. I love the movie. I, I did like it, but I think she ruined because it's like, she just comes in like this kind of like all powerful thing where it's like, all right, if you were just around from the beginning, we wouldn't have needed to watch all these movies. It's kind of like Lord of the Rings. If the Eagles had just taken the ring and dropped it into the lava in the very beginning, we wouldn't have needed all this other drama. Yeah. You know what I mean? I do. It's so frustrating. You got these eagles in your back pocket the whole time and you got to we got to we got to watch these two little hobbits journey their way there. Come on. You know, I'll tell you what, it's a dang shame that we're not going to the post office again because I think you and this gentleman that you used to not get along with at the post office, you all could have really talked about the She-Hulk and the superhero movies. Well, then it could have tore us apart. Seems like he's into it. I know, but it could have been a healthy debate. Maybe. And I think you all, you, maybe there were some differences y'all had about it, but maybe there were some things that would unify you as well. But then I would have to watch it. And I'm not saying the lady's not attractive. I don't know yeah, her. She's pretty, but she's yeah. not, I don't know, Margot Robbie, I guess. Yeah, I'm not saying she's not attractive, but I just don't like the way that they did it. Apparently there was one time where the She-Hulk was twerking mm -hmm. and I could use a lot less twerking yeah. in the world. Yeah. I yep. could go for just some good old fashioned dancing, mm -hmm. you know, step, step, like, uh, you know, that is what I now. Now, not that this movie was perfect. There was a lot of nasty stuff in this movie, too. But uh, Saturday Night Fever that we watched not long ago, oh. the dance 
scenes in that were incredible. Delightful. And it was just, you know, a little bit, a little sexual, but it was mainly just dancing. And it was mainly just John Travolta kind of swirling his junk a bit. But that's what we're tuning in for, really. Well, uh, yeah, not me, but people at that time. Yeah, Yeah. in the 70s, everybody was. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it was hot. Mm -hmm. All right, so... How about, uh, but everything's great. I, 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 I like having kids. It's <laughs> been a lot of fun. Uh, yeah. It's been a bit of a hassle to put Daisy to bed, but I, I enjoy it. I mean, you know, we started this podcast. We had a little jingle uh, written by uh, country singer Joe Denham, wrote us a jingle. And one of the lines in that song was no babies on their arms, Mm. meaning that we didn't have kids. When we started this podcast, we didn't have kids and we weren't planning to have kids. Mm -mm. We were living at a two bedroom apartment in uh, Hendersonville where people kept breaking into cars and we weren't planning on having kids. We had just moved from a house with a lot of rats in it. I was smoking cigarettes halfway down. Yeah, if if that far. I was smoking all your weed. Yeah, um, you know we were living we were living a different kind of life. And you know now, uh, yeah, now we have kids, mm. and we I don't do own, any of those things now. We have our own little podcast studio, mm-hmm. and uh, it's a fun journey. Yeah, I went to the trampoline park today with my daughter, and yeah. we jumped quite a bit. Mm-hmm. I still jump on the trampoline pretty well. I did the monkey bars again today. Dynamite is the easiest I've ever done the monkey bars this time around. I mean, uh, I feel good. I mean, I, um, I used to jump on the trampoline nonstop as a kid. My dad had a trampoline. I used to jump nonstop and I'm still good. Do you think the physical act of jumping reconnects you to your childhood? A little bit. Mm. Now, of course, you know, now I would have killed for a trampoline park like this as a kid. Yeah. I would have for sure broke my neck in there because mm. I would have been wild. I don't know how long this trampoline park will be around for. I'm sure there'll be some sort of accident and then they'll, they'll disband trampoline parks forever. Well, probably mm-hmm. some sort of they'll say that, uh, you know, springs cause climate change and yeah. uh, and then we'll have to get rid of them. I've always suspected that the trampoline park was a product of climate change. Yeah, somehow the coils mm-hmm. going in and out are causing the mm-hmm. atmosphere to heat and cool simultaneously giving us more extreme temperatures yeah so in order to do our part part of the uh oh. 2024 calgary proto- protocols will be saying nobody's allowed to jump anymore oh, yeah jumping in itself he's yeah. heating the earth we can't jump speaking of I, I, last weekend i was in austin texas and every day i was there it was 103 mm. now you can't even have a hot day anymore. You can't even enjoy a hot day anymore. Every time there's a hot day now, it's a crisis to people. The earth is boiling now. It's like, I remember when I was a kid, I grew up in Alabama. We would just have hot days and we'd be like, it's a hot summer this year, you know, and whether the earth is heating or not, I'm not saying it's not, I don't know if it is, but we just go, yeah, it's a lot hotter than it was last summer. Or we'd go, yeah, this has been a mild summer compared to last year. But it's like, it's always a crisis now. Yeah. Everything's a crisis. I remember when I was a kid, we would, it would be hot 
And then my dad would hook up a trailer to his truck and we would drive through a field that he had just plowed and we would have to walk behind the trailer and pick up rocks and throw it into the trailer because my dad would be plowing the field and these big rocks would hit his equipment and break, you know, break his bush hog or break the plow or this and that. So he wanted to get them out of the field. So that's what we would do on these hot days. Or he would cut and bale hay, and we would have to go pick up these square bales of hay. Why did he ever wonder why you preferred to stay at your mom's house as you got older? I don't know. Well, because my dad, you know, my mom lived in a trailer park, right? And my dad lived on a farm. So on the farm, my dad had a swimming pool. Uh, We had bikes when we were kids. And then we had four wheelers when we were older, a trampoline. So we had all the things, you know, but, and, 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 and looking back, I mean, I appreciate that my dad made me work because it gave me some real perspective. I appreciate it, but yeah, I mean, my dad loves to tell the story. Like he came one, home one time from work and we were all sitting out on the porch and he was like, what are y'all doing? He go, and we go, we're bored. And so my dad hooked up the trailer and made us pick up rocks. And he goes, y'all never said you were bored again. And I don't know if that part's true or not, but I know we kept picking up rocks. My dad likes to act like it was a punishment. And I'm like, now nah, you were going to make us pick up those rocks no matter what. Yeah. We did it a lot, and it didn't. And we didn't have some trailer that would just lift up and pour all the rocks out. We would fill up the trailer, oh. and then to unload it, you had to retouch all the rocks again. There's nothing like being real hot and sweaty and dirty. Yeah. Oh. And then you know, so you know, there's still like we would put them around creeks. So there's still creeks I could take you to. That the dams are the rocks that we threw there. Yeah, and then just see that you spelled out with the rocks. Help me. Yes, yes, and fences. You know, uh, over time, the 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 greenery would grow up over the fences, and we would have to go and cut vines and stuff like that. Stuff that's kind of up my alley now. But my dad's not always never is not a fun guy to work with. He's not laughing and cutting up while we're working. He's yelling at you about how you're not doing it right. Mm-hmm. So my dad's not a fun guy to work with. Do you think he's the last generation of dads that are going to be like that? Oh, no. Not <laughs> fun to work with? Yeah, you think there's always going to be dads that are really just rough. 100%. Somewhere right now, some dad's yelling at his kid about yeah. not doing it right. Yeah, men are so emotionally disconnected. It's great. I mean, you need a little, 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 little uh, oppressed. I mean, I thought, you know, I really thought that this was kind of, and I, I knew that my dad wasn't the only one, but I've seen a lot of uh, memes and stuff about holding the light and getting yelled at. Mm-hmm. And that was me. My dad used to weld a lot and uh, he learned how to weld. He built a flatbed trailer that he could pull behind his truck and he built a cow trailer. He welded it. Uh, pretty amazing stuff. Um, but he, so you would weld a lot of things and in order when you first, and I don't know exactly, but you sit a, a set, a ground is, is what, so sometimes it'll, it'll cause a little bit of an electrical shock to come through whatever it is that you're holding. And then you have to wear these welding masks with a little eye thing across the front that the glass on it is so dark that you can't see out of it but you can see the spark 
when you're welding. Uh-huh. So it's designed so you can look at what you're doing and not blind yourself. But, you know, my dad would, I'd have to put on that mask and then he would have me hold something and it would be so heavy that when the mask was off, my dad would be holding it and I would be holding it and the mask was on so I couldn't see what I was doing. And then he would let go of whatever he had me holding. But it was so heavy, I thought he was pushing it down so I would kind of go with it to, to, to let him. And then he'd just be yelling at me and I'm like, I don't know what's happening. I can't see. And then sometimes when he would set the ground, it would, I would have, one time I had to hold these two fence posts apart from each other so he could weld a metal piece in between them. And so my arms are holding the two metal piece. And then when he set the ground, it sent an electrical shock through those things and all through my body. And, you know, I'm like, I don't know, like my dad's not like, Hey, this is going to give you a little shock. So be ready for it. It just happens. And then I drop whatever he's yelling at me for dropping it. And I'm like, you're electrocuting me. What Um, would you say at the time as a young boy, did you ever sass your dad or all the time? Oh, you did. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I mean, you know, me and my dad would fight all the time because Mm -hmm. I was always, I'm like, you know, I was always a sassy little public school kid. I mean, I had a lot of words, you know what I mean? Yeah. That's a wholesome story, though. Yeah, it is. It is wholesome. But it's true. Everybody's talking about how hot it is, but it was hot in the 90s. What gets me is people talking about climate change a lot now. And um, and that's fine. I, you know, I believe that we've done a number on our earth. I don't question it. But sometimes they'll be like, this, this, we haven't had, you know, weather this hot since 1892. And it's like, okay, so it's been this hot and it was a long time ago. <laughs> right. So it's sort of like, yeah, the weather's a little bit up and down sometimes. Those are my funniest. Those are, those are my favorite when they say that. It hasn't been this hot since 1950. Yeah. I'm like, oh, okay, so, all right. So, so this isn't a record. <laughs> so we've been here. Yeah, we've been here. And it, it used to be when we would set a record hot day, like if we did set one, it would be like a celebration. Yeah. Be like, can you believe it? Yeah. It was so hot. It's never been this hot before. Yeah. We'd be like, oh, it's so great. Yeah. Everybody's eating freezies. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, let's have a couple hot dogs. <laughs> now we're like taking uh, anti-depression medication and anti-anxiety pills because they're like, it's too hot. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, and I don't support pollution. I mean, I wish that uh, these companies would not dump poison into the river. Yeah. I wish that they weren't pouring poisonous smoke into the air. I wish that when the planes flew overhead, something wasn't coming out of them, whatever that is. We hate plastic. Yeah. Yes. So I wish all that wasn't happening, but it always seems like when people buy in too hard, the solution is to always pay more taxes, which just doesn't make sense to me. They're like, because the government is not using our money well as it is. So they're like, just give us more taxes and we'll stop the earth from heating up. If you don't, it's like they're the mafia and they go, if you don't pay us, we'll burn this earth up. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? That's literally, that's literally what it's, it's either that or we're saying we're not paying you. So we're going to burn this earth up. We'd rather burn this earth up than pay you. Yeah. 
So it's one of the other is true. But it's like, and then it it really is a religion in a sense because, it, and they have their own, because, you know, there have been plenty of so-called Christian people who have said, you know, Jesus is coming back by this date, the world's ending by this date, and then that date comes and the world didn't end. And in the same sense, many, Al Gore. Yeah, many people. Yeah, Al Gore is the most uh, prominent one, I think, to say, you know, I mean, I, I think the early 2000s, the world was supposed to be underwater, according mm-hmm. to Al Gore. So his yeah. doomsday uh, clock ticked on out and it never came, you yeah, know. Someone needs to take that man's Oscar. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if he got an Oscar, but he got something. He got something too. Yeah. And it's just like it dominates everything now. You can't mm-hmm. even have casual weather talk without mm-hmm. it turning political well, out here. Everything is because of climate change. Yeah. It's like heart conditions, climate change, birth defects, climate change, a bad hair day, climate change. I mean, it's like, you know, I'm just going to start saying, look at, you know, if you're like, I don't like this chicken, I'm saying, it's climate change. Yeah. I'm sorry. Exactly. I'm sorry. Yeah. And it's like, so I went to Austin, had a great time out there. It was over a hundred every day and it was unbearable, but it's unbearable in a regular old kind of hot way. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, in an Alabama picking stones, kind of you know, regular and, hot. And I follow a guy on Instagram and he talks a lot about, this is a guy I've ordered a lot of wildflowers from his con- his company. Oh yeah. And he is big on meadows. He says in the South, uh, there used to be meadows and prairies where they would just be big fields where there weren't trees, but there were, you know, knee high to waist high plants, just lots of plants with flowers and things like that. And he went around with a thermometer and he would uh, show the temperature in the air, just standing up. And then he would point it at the ground and you know, let, let, let's say it's 100 degrees outside and it, it, you would touch the floor in a forest and it would be like 70 degrees. You would touch the ground in a meadow and it would be like 80 degrees. And then uh, the lawn like that we have in normal neighborhoods, it would be like hotter than the air. It would be like 110 or something like that. I, and I'm messing this up, I'm sure. But even on you know, and then pavement, it's even hotter than that. Basically to say, you know, if we just leave things alone and let there be forest, let there be prairies and meadows, instead of bulldozing everything around us, paving everything around us, uh, things would be cooler. So it's like, that's kind of like the thing to me. It's like when, when, uh, um, you know, government gets involved with climate change and they go, this is what we're going to need you to do in order to stop climate change. And it's like, well, how about you go after the developers? How about you get them to stop? Because around here, it's like they're constantly bulldozing our woods around here. And then the deer don't have enough to eat. So they're coming into our yards, eating up all our flowers, eating things that deer wouldn't normally eat because they got nowhere to go. It's like, how about we bulldoze some of these old shopping centers and that's where we build new houses. You know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. stop chopping down the woods all the time. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm saying. Well, I thank God for Theodore Teddy Roosevelt because when he was president in the turn of the uh, 20th century, he said, listen, I love hunting and I love fishing, 
but we dang killed all these buffalo. So we got to hold on to these forests and we got to hold on to the, this precious land. And he made all these national parks and uh, conservation and, and preservation of land and animals. And, um, you know, I think that's important and there's very little of that around these parts, but thank God we did that, you know? Yeah. You know, and I don't know how, how our listenership goes. I don't know if we've had, you know, a lot of people listening for a long time, but, um, Frank, you know, I don't know if, I know that we still have people listening, but I don't know if people were like listening for a time and stopped and we picked up new, I don't know how it works, but in, in during COVID Frank, our neighbor behind us mm. put up an eight foot privacy fence. Mm. Now, Frank had a giant tree in his yard and I had the same kind of giant tree in my yard, but recently a big limb fell out of Frank's tree during a windstorm and it hit that fence. A windstorm caused by climate change. Yeah, yeah. And it hit that fence and it busted it a little bit. Now I was able to fix the fence, but Frank had that whole tree taken down. Now I don't blame him. It was close to his house. A lot was going on. I guess he kind of freaked out. He's like, I don't want this hitting my house. So I don't blame him. But now there is a real opening in the sky uh, where it used to be, you know, I used to see this tree and in a way I like it because I have a nice view of the sky now, but in another way, I'm like, man, that tree was probably there for a hundred years or more. Mm -hmm. And now it's just gone. Yeah. And it's just a shame. I love shade. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's just a shame. But every time we cut down a tree, the ground around it gets a little hotter. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. and I got into someone that listens to the podcast had recommended a book about oaks and I uh, read the book, most of it, and uh, I read most of Questionable. it. Questionable. And uh, we'll see. <laughs> and I'd like to see where that last earmark was. And this tree was not an oak, but they talk about these trees housing so many like like giving life to so many different species like different insects and things and because of the insects that live in there birds will live in there and then squirrels will live in there so all these trees so one little tree that we chop down affects a lot of things around it hmm. it's a real shame all right, I, I do want to talk a little. I know I've been trying to get into where we've been, where we're going for a while. We went off on a bit of a tangent there, but mm -hmm. it felt good. Yeah. It felt yeah. good. Yeah. Imagine yeah. how much you'll learn about oaks when you get past page three. <laughs> now, I read a, I read about half of it, I'll say. Okay. Yeah, I did good. I was doing good for a while. Yeah, seven I don't even page know, book. I don't, even know, I don't even know where that book's at now. Yeah. But uh, you didn't read it. Okay. I did read a lot of it. <laughs> okay, I'm just joking with you. So I went to Austin and I did comedy. Uh, I got, now I had a friend from Opelika that um, I had, um, we've been friends since middle school. Uh, he moved to Charleston with me. He didn't move out there with me. I was already living there when he moved out, but we lived together for a little while in Charleston and then he moved back to Opelika. And, you know, we've been hanging out. We hang out off and on. And, um, Recently, when I was visiting him, uh, we were talking and he told me he had never been on an airplane and it blew me away because I'm 41 and he's the same age as me. So to never been on an airplane, not that it's unheard of, but I just thought, you know, I didn't fly till I was about 26, but the last 
six years or so, would you say it's been that long? Five years. Last five years. I've been nonstop flying. And I've been all over the place. You fought with people at every airport in this country. Yeah. Yeah, if they step to me. Yeah, and they do. But, you know, uh, to think that he had never flown blew my mind. And I was like, we got to get this guy on a plane. Mm -hmm. So I invited him out to Austin. We went out to Austin. We went on a Thursday, had a couple other comics, Alec Parent, Drew Harrison, who opened for me a lot on the road. They went out there. I, I rented an Airbnb to fit all four of us. And I told them if they wanted to come out early, then, you know, they got a spot. Uh, so they came out a little early and we hang, hung out. We went to uh, some restaurants. We went to this like kind of Tex-Mex restaurant the first night. Um, and we had like eight dudes at this table. And I feel like we have such a drinking culture now that they just manipulate you in a restaurant. This waiter comes over. He's probably in his 50s, maybe 60s. And he's he comes over and he goes, hey, I'm Bob. Uh, I got a round. Of, I got some queso coming for you. And I got a round of uh, knockout margaritas coming. And that was his sales tactic of 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 acting like, you, you know, already want it. Yeah, this is what you want. So we're like, yeah, we'll take the queso, but I'm going to have a water. And then he got his attitude just got so sour when he saw that none of us were drinking because, you know, that's going to drop his his overall tab because he's probably hoping to get a, you know, at least a 20 percent tip off whatever we drink. So yeah. the higher he can get it, the more money he's getting. But they're like, well, that's not what we want. And then the guy continues to be like weirdly rude throughout um, and he, uh, one guy orders a steak. The guy tells him it's going to be the best steak you've ever had. And he goes, I tell you what, won't you, why don't I, why don't I add a little shrimp on there for you? Really, really turn it up a notch. And the guy was like, okay, cool. And I said, I bet money he charged you for that shrimp. He's not going to hook you up. He made it sound like he's hooking you up, but he ain't hooking you up. And you know what? He didn't hook him up. Yeah. He charged him for the shrimp. I mean, he sounds like a good waiter, but a bad waiter in that way too. Yeah. And then uh, Drew ordered like a, Drew says he ordered chicken right off the bat. And I guess Drew would know more, the, you know, than me what he ordered. But I thought Drew ordered the beef enchilada. And so it confused the waiter a little bit. I think he said, the waiter was like, how do you want that cooked? And he was like, you know, all the way. He's like, I want the chicken enchilada. I want it cooked all the way. And the guy goes, so you don't want the steak. And it's like, the steak was never on the table. We never were talking about a steak. We've been talking about an enchilada this whole time. One guy ordered a steak. Drew ordered chicken enchiladas. And the guy was like, how do you want it? He was like, uh, done. I don't want raw chicken over here. The guy's like, so you don't want the steak? Yeah. It's like, no, I never wanted the steak. And I wouldn't stand for that. I'd be like, get off me. Well, we all felt like that. But we had eight people at a table. We're like, we're committed to this place. Yeah. And it was delicious. I mean, it was unbelievable. I was so full. The next day, I went. I went did radio in the morning. Radio was great, and then we had uh, breakfast tacos. I had a brisket taco in the morning from from a very you know kind of shady looking side of the road taco place that Matt knew. It was delicious. Mm. The next night we had pizza. It was awesome, but I ate so much pizza. I was so full. I was like, ugh, I was like miserable, full in a hundred degree heat. 
and I'm doing Joe Rogan's club, the comedy mothership. And I'd never done that club before. And already it's like, I do comedy all over the place. I almost never get nervous to do comedy, but I'm doing like the cool club in Austin. Joe Rogan. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, downtown Austin. It's the cool club. Who's going to see you? Yeah. A lot of security shows sold out. Mm -hmm. I'm standing off to the corner. I'm burping in the corner of the room <laughs> because I'm just so full I just like, I'm burping and it's like my brain is fogged up because I'm so full. There's no blood in my brain because it's all working to digest the food. Right. And then um, the guy in front of me, now the guy in front of me on stage, had he had been nice and showed me around the club. He's a very nice guy, but on stage, he's just, he's just saying everything you can possibly say. I don't like to use the word, but he said retarded like 50 times on stage. And I'm like, okay, now where do we go from here? Uh, and then he's doing lots of political jokes, uh, this and that very dirty. And then I got to follow and I had 15 minutes. I would say my first three minutes was okay like i was kind of getting some laughs but after that i turned it up and it became a hot set mm. but it took me a minute to to really get them into what i was doing but part of that was i was a little nervous i was too full and i was stumbling on my words a little bit in the beginning and i had to really find my rhythm yeah and i did but I did think the club was great. If I was if I was living in Austin, I would be trying to do that club all the time. Now, I've said that a couple of times, and every comic is like, yeah, that's what everybody in Austin's trying to do. I understand that. But I would be doing it every day. And I don't even mean that as me where I'm at right now. Uh, when I moved to Nashville, Zany's is the only club. And I would do these showcases with people, and there would be 20 people in the audience. And every comic on the showcase would just wing it or just do whatever because they're like, there's barely no one in the audience. And I would go up every time and try to bring the heat. I mean, that's what I would do. That would be my home club in no time. And it's a hot club. Um, so I'm into it. I did not meet Joe Rogan. Um, I don't even think he was around. Uh, I didn't meet anyone. Tony Hinchcliffe was closing out the show, but I wanted to leave immediately. I felt good about my set, but I was also like, let's get out of here now. Yeah, you were full. Yeah. yeah. And then the next day, um, I went to a place called Terry Black's Barbecue. I tried to I tried to lay low on Saturday, and I, I, I went to this brisket place. I ordered three strips of brisket and a side of coleslaw, and it cost me $36. Did you have brisket twice in one weekend? Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah. Okay. And um, Will, my friend, ordered a rib and a side of mac and cheese, and it cost him $60. That's climate change. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. That is, for sure, uh, prices heating up. Uh, but, <laughs> but the, uh, <laughs> but the brisket was unbelievable. I mean, I had two pieces and I was like, I was full to the, to the brim and, and I got three pieces. So I ate the three piece at uh, the third piece later that night. Um, 
but I had a show at the Paramount Theater. Now, the significance really to me of the Paramount Theater is um, uh, in 2018, I went on the road with Burt Kreischer a little bit. I did Burt Kreischer's first theater tour. Uh, I worked with Burt Kreischer at uh, Comedy Off-Broadway in Lexington. We got paired up organically. I got booked through the club to work with him. Burt liked me and asked me would I want to go on this theater tour with him next year. And I said, yeah, that'd be great. And then between that time, I ended up getting new management. Turns out my management is the same as Bert's management. So um, that just got worked out. It just got hooked up. So we got to go on the tour and I did a bunch of dates with him. But one of the theaters we did was the Paramount in Austin, Texas. And it was just unreal to me to do a theater like that. And now I'm back as the headliner. It was amazing. Now, it did not sell out, but it's a huge, I mean, it's 1,300 seats almost. I sold 800 tickets. I'm very excited about the tickets that I sold. Um, and my friend Jesse Daniel came out, country singer Jesse Daniel came to see me. It was really great. A lot of fun. A lot of fans came to see me. It was really great. People are so nice. The people that come to see my shows are so nice. I'm always so thankful. They're always giving you gifts. They're giving me gifts. And, uh, you know, I got a bunch of gifts in, in Toledo, too. I got a baby outfit, uh, you know, and just. We have so many hats. Just so many giving hats. Us hats. A guy gave me the hat off his head at oh. the show. It's, That's beautiful. It is beautiful. It's that so great. It is beautiful. I, I got a hat from the radio station that I did. I mean, it's all great. Yeah. And uh, so that show was awesome. And now I'm back. And um, this weekend, um, I'm going. I, you know what? I got back to Nashville. It was in the 90s. And I was like, this is great. Yeah. That's uh, where you want to be. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Mm -hmm. The garden's looking good. We got back. We had tomatoes. Tonight, we picked a tomato off the vine, sliced it up, just kind of ate it with one of the, like the pickles that I've been making and some onions and a little salt and pepper. It's unreal. We had Daisy reaching for raw veggies. Yeah. The the song by Guy Clark, Guy Guy Clark, if you've never heard it, it's called Homegrown Tomatoes. Mm. Um, give that song a listen, and he nails it. Like tomatoes, store-bought tomatoes are garbage compared to a homegrown tomato. And you know what? I'm not even using fertilizer. I just thought about that today. I mean, I put a little fish fertilizer down there, an organic fish fertilizer, but very little. I mean, we're just growing vegetables out of the ground. Well, I'm not putting fertilizer on there. I'm not spraying pesticides on there. You stick a little twig of copper in there. That's all you need, yeah. boy. Copper is just... Just let the air and the energy juice up that soil. Yeah, and it feels great. You know a tomato's good when it's called a beefsteak. That's true. That is true, and that's what we had tonight. It's so good. That tomato's got bones in it. And tomorrow, I may put this out in the morning. So tonight, I'll be in Kansas City, Missouri at the Improv. Two shows tonight, two shows on Saturday. And then back home. But it's, um, I go, I think one show's already sold out. I'm very right. pumped. Praise God. Um, I, Kansas City, I've been going there for years. I'm very excited. Alec Parent's going to be open for me. Hosting's going to be Dustin Slint's. Mm. Uh, looks like we're going to have a guest spot by Will O'Donnell. Okay. On F Late Show Friday, Late Show Saturday. Looking like a guest spot from my friend Chris Covey. 
uh, it's just going to be a hot weekend. Yeah, you just got to go find yourself some brisket, and that's a good weekend. And Kansas City's probably got the brisket. Yeah, it does. Yeah. That's KC. Yeah. What um, what kind of things did you have to talk about, Anna? Well, I uh, I have a, a a little thing that I think we should we should do, and okay. it's called um, what Hannah's been reading for Dusty. Okay. Because uh, as I alluded to earlier in the show, uh, Dusty doesn't read, but Dusty has a wide interest in, in reading. He doesn't want to actually read, but he'll be buying books. And I, so I'll read the books that Dusty's been reading. I love to buy a book. Oh, he loves to buy a book and pile it up high to I never like, be read. I like the feel of a book in my hand. Mm-hmm. I like to smell the inside of a book. I yeah. like to turn the pages and I like to hear the way the book sounds as you're opening it up. Mm-hmm. And I like to put my face in it <laughs> and really smell the book. What about reading? Ah, in theory, I love to read in theory, but what happens to you in the moment when your eyes connect with those letters and spaces? Well, sometimes I'll sit down and I'll start to read and I'll go, what have I been doing? Why have I not been reading? And then a few minutes in, I'm thinking about something else. You're on your phone. Yeah. <laughs> I want to read something here, if oh. you don't mind. Okay. Yeah, sure. Now, this is a children's story uh, that we read to Daisy sometimes, and I've been wanting to read it for a while. It's called Flora's Magic Flute. And the reason I want to read it is because there's something really funny in here to me. <laughs> But I'm going to have to read the whole book, okay? When you open it up, there's a lot of fairies sitting around on mushroom houses, okay? And it says, Long ago, deep in the woods, a tiny village of fairies lived in peace, including a fairy girl named Flora, okay? And you flip the page, and there's more... Okay. Dropped it. Uh, You flip the page, and there's more fairies sitting around on mushrooms, uh, for as long, now, now this is an important page right here. Remember this, remember what I'm saying right here. For as long as the fairies could remember, every day had been clear and sunny. Flora played music on her magic flute and all the fairies danced and sang. But then one day, the sky grew dark and it began to rain. Soon the fairy village was muddy and gray. Everyone in the village was sad. Would the sun ever return? Then Flora remembered how happy everyone had been when she had played her flute on sunny days. Could her music make them feel happy now? She took out her flute and she began to play. Flora's music made the other fairies remember that after the last rain, the trees and flowers became even prettier than before. It made, now hear it again. Let's rewind. It made them, made the other fairies remember that after the last rain, the last rain, I mean, earlier in the book, it said, as long as the fairies could remember, every day had been clear and sunny. <laughs> but now all of a sudden, they hear that flute and they go, oh, we remember after the last rain. The last rain? I thought there had, I thought as long as you could remember, there had never been rain. But she took out the flute and they remembered that, oh, after the last rain, 
the trees and flowers became even prettier than before, so they all danced and splashed in the rain to celebrate the beauty that was to become. So... I mean, the editor should have caught that. Yeah. I mean, what kind of whack job, crappy writers are writing it's these It's a climate change books? book is yeah. what this is. They're like, every day's been, it's been in the 80s every day. And then summertime comes and they're like, it's in the hundreds. <laughs> <laughs> Will it ever be a moderate temperature again? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. They're hysterical. Thank you for pointing that out. I've been wanting to read that book for a long time. You get so aggravated with children's stories. Yeah. You're always finding the faulty premises in children's stories. Yeah, this is what I do. It's nonstop faulty premises. I find faulty premises in life. That's what I'm out yeah. here doing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm out here doing. All right. Do you still want to? Okay. Do you still want to do um, what, what Hannah's reading for Dusty? Yes, I do. All right. So back to that, how I was saying, um, that let's see i think i lost the little thing um so i read an article recently that i thought would would dusty would find interesting um i've been reading the magazine the new yorker mm. because i'm very bougie yes and um i'm a i have liberal tendencies i suppose but anyways i read this article in the new yorker and it was called sickening by adam gopnik and um, he was basically kind of um, critiquing a book that was written by Chris Van Tolkien called um, Ultra Processed People. And so basically this, this article was questioning, are processed foods really that bad for you, right? And I figured because this article was in the New Yorker that the angle of this article was that actually processed foods are not that bad for you. And I was right. So basically... Um, that's why I wanted to share it with Dusty because Dusty hates processed foods, you know. But I wanted to see what he would say to what this guy's saying. Yeah, it's right? killing us out Yeah. Here. All right. So let me just read a couple segments and then you can comment. And these are just kind of picked um, uh, to kind of uh, condense it. All right. So what is truly processed and not processed? Clearly demarcating UPFs from its neighbors has some of these. Already too many words here. <laughs> demarcated yeah yeah demarcating do you know what that means no never you don't even, know what demarcating i never means? even heard that word oh it's a great word is it yeah it's just sort of like being like okay this one goes here oh this one's in this section oh this one fits here again it's just like putting things in its proper things like labeling it's it's you could say clearly labeling ultra processed foods from its neighbors has some inscrutable qualities of any dietary religion not unlike debates about what is and is not kosher and though one is a product of industrialized civilization and the other handed down by god both enterprises share a slightly mystical and insistence on purity yeah well, this is great. Right up my alley. I mean, obviously you take the one handed to you by God. Right. Right. But I, I don't do understand think, a lot of these words. I, can, so. I think he's saying it's like if you're going to insist to eat organic, if you're going to insist on not eating processed foods or whatever, it, there's a purity to your approach to food. Right. And you believe that you can have that purity of not having any uh, bad stuff that you're eating as long as you focus on it. Yeah. You got to try hard and but it is hard. His angle is you can't do it. That's well, impossible. It's probably impossible to not eat any processed foods out here. It probably is. Mm -hmm. But 
that doesn't mean you shouldn't try. Okay. That's the same way about sin. You're going to sin. It's, you're probably not going to be able to be sinless, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't try. Great stuff, Dusty. Well, I'm going to continue to read a little bit of the article, and you just cut me off whenever you you have something you have to say. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So back about the purity of eating. That hazy ideal of purity has long lingered like a halo above the discourse about food additives. Yeah. I mean, how dare you try to eat well? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's what the liberals want you to think. Or, you know, or anybody. Uh, the, esteem, the esteemable Michael Pollan, for instance, tells us that great-grandmother never cooked with guar gum or carrageenan or monodecrystallized hydrolyzed vegetable protein. Who didn't cook with it? Great-grandmother. Oh, okay. Uh, modified food starch, soil, lectic thing, and any number of other ingredients found in processed food. But why is guire gum extracted from one seed any more artificial than cornstarch extracted from another? Some version of carrageen, which comes from the seaweed Irish moss, has been used in cooking for centuries. Great-grandmother certainly used lechichkin from egg yolks, if not from soy oil, to emulsify her sauces. Vegetable protein can hydrogelize when proteins are exposed to acids. Why is hydrogelized vegetable proteins are a regular product of fermentation and pickling? Technical names can make the familiar seem alien. We'd be put off if something were described as a concoction of lutulin, hydroxyl solin, apopachiglin, ocolectic oil, ocolectithol, but all they're right. all natural components of your extra virgin olive oil. I mean, this is, all right, so the guy's trying to say that um, because we think that our great-grandmother wasn't, you like, because we go, oh, well, my great-grandmother wasn't using that, so I shouldn't be eating it either. I mean, it's getting worse all the time. The ingredients are getting worse all the time. I always use this example. There's a movie called Founder with Michael Keaton. Really great movie. Any movie Michael Keaton's in is great. He's mm, the best. Batman. But it's talking about McDonald's. And you have the original guys who created McDonald's and this is all according to this movie. I don't know the real history. I don't know anything about it. This is all according to this movie. The original founders of McDonald's, they they were brothers. They really cared about it. They wanted to make great hamburgers. They wanted to make great milkshakes. They wanted everybody to enjoy. They wanted to use good ingredients. And, and they just wanted it to be good for people and taste good. They wanted to make a quality product. So Michael Keaton enters, who's playing Ray Kroc, he enters the scene and he begins to find ways to make their business more profitable and cut corners. So sure, the original founders of McDonald's were probably using a few bad things here and there, but overall they were using quality ingredients. They were making their milkshakes out of real ice cream. But Ray Kroc was like, oh, you should, you know, you would cut a lot of cost if you could get rid of these freezers. So what they brought in was a powder that you could stir and the powder, as you stirred it, would, would be begin to take on the texture like a real milkshake. It would taste the same. It would be cold, but it's all chemicals. So that's what's happening. It's like, sure, your great grandmother might have used a little something bad here and there. Maybe she used a little lecithin or monothyrate from something, 
right? But she wasn't throwing this frozen packaged dinner in the microwave uh, full of ingredients that you don't even know what's in there. Sure, they tell you it's beef, but you didn't see the cow get slaughtered. You don't know what was in there. It's just some hunk of brown stuff that you're heating up with the microwave and eating. And then we're going, why does everybody have cancer? You know what I mean? Yeah. Do you want me to continue? Sure. Great points. Great points. Urge to eat only our great-grandmother's food. uh, Oh, sorry, excuse me. Urge to eat only our food great-grandmother would recognize as food. We may forget, too, that she would have prized white pastry flour. Chemically bleached flour has been available since 1906. And oleomargarine and the hydrogenated oil. Just because it's been available doesn't mean they were all using it. Mm, Good point. Ooh, you're a savage. And oleomargarine and hydrogenated oils like Crisco that have been common since 1900. And are the people who follow their 19th century forebearers and dine on hominy, pork belly, and lard saturated greens? Let's say this though. Crisco has been available since the 1900s. Sure, maybe that's true. But my my grandparents lived on a farm. My grandfather was born in 1900. I mean, they milked their own cows. They made their own butter. They drank their own milk from their own cows. My grandfather would slaughter cows and pigs, uh, and he would he would cut up that meat and he would put that he would put it in his car and drive from house to house in the neighborhood. My dad said he would drive up, honk the horn. People would know that he had meat for sale, and they would go out there. He had his scales. He would weigh them out meat and give it to them there. I'm sure he sold butter and milk too. They weren't all eating Crisco out here. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Wake up. And, um, okay, so all this is to say that the history of humanity is the history of processing foodstuffs by fire, by smoke, by pounding and pulverizing. And it can be hard to find a boundary between those ever more hallowed traditional kitchen practices and the more modern ones that we are asked to condemn. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't think it's hard to take a look around and go, people are generally unhealthy. I mean, we're all unhealthy in some way. My appendix ruptured for some reason. Why, I don't know. No one has the explanation, but probably because it was full of some crap that I'd been eating. I mean, I don't know what was happening with it, but it's like, we're all dealing with something out here because of the food that we're eating. I don't think we look super healthy. Anybody writing an article like this, it's like, please, buddy. It's like, it feels like he almost wants to broaden the horizon of the word processed, which is just some word. Yeah, that's exactly what he was doing. Yeah, it's just some word. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, you. he said by pulverizing, what does he mean? Now we're processing meat because we're beating it down to make some kind of, what is that chicken thing you like to make sometimes? Ground beef. Now you make a ch- <laughs> the chicken thing that you make where you like smash the chicken down real thin. Well, that's just, yeah, that's just flattening out meat to, to Right, cook but it. It's, he said pulverizing uh-huh. as if what you're doing there is now processing right. that chicken. It's right. like, I'm talking about the if you... Uh, buy a package of food and you read the ingredients on the back and you can't pronounce most of them, you probably shouldn't be eating it. I would say if you could help it, don't eat anything that comes in a package. I eat stuff from a package all the time. So I'm not saying, 
it's I'm not saying it's easy to do, but I'm like people still talk about eating Doritos to me and I'm like if I have my way, Doritos will never touch my lips again. I mean, I like some regular Lay's. I can convince myself that that still comes from potatoes. Um, but, uh, you know what I mean? Doritos just full of some kind of weird powder. Even popcorn, like smart food popcorn or whatever. I won't buy the white cheddar popcorn. If they have some with just some salt on it, I will get it. But, like, what is that? You telling me that's cheese? I don't believe it's cheese. Yeah, it's not. It's not cheese. No. Yeah, I mean, this article, I just think it's so unhelp- unhelpful. I don't. I agree that it's nearly impossible to get pure food out here, but let's raise the alarm. Let's let everybody know how bad this, these packaged foods, these frozen foods, these junk foods are because nothing will stop it being produced except for people stopping to buy it. And then the demand yeah. of better food will hit the aisles. But as long as people are continuing to buy it in ignorance or just reading an article like this and feeling like, yeah, it's fine. I'm, you know, food's food. It's like, mm. I mean, I read, I've read that dyes in food uh, can cause behavioral issues in children. Uh, just a little bit of dye can cause behavioral issues and dyes will be in candies and all sorts of things. And it's like I've had relatives in the past. They would have their kids on writ now doctor prescribed, but they would have their kids on Ritalin or Adderall or some sort of thing like that because their kid is diagnosed with ADD. But yet you look at what the kid's eating and it's nonstop candy and Cokes and things like that. So they're eating all this and people go, yeah, too much sugar. And yet it is too much sugar, but it also is too many other bad things. Mm -hmm. It's too many dyes, too many chemicals that we don't know anything about. I mean, you remember for a while they were talking about the Subway's bread had the same material that was in yoga mats. Um, cigarettes, not that anybody thinks cigarettes are healthy anyway, but everybody always demonizes tobacco. But the big problem with cigarettes, in my opinion, is that the paper itself is loaded with toxic chemicals. They said they had like a flame retardant in the paper so that the paper would go out if you sat it down rather than burning all the way. And it's like you're breathing in all that stuff. The tobacco itself, I'm sure it's not great to inhale, but it's not the end of the world. People have been doing that for a long time. But it's um, it's the other chemicals that are put into it. It's always the other chemicals. Mm -hmm. People worry about fat. And it's like fat, like this is just all what I've been told, but like people would analyze the skull and jaws of Native American people who would mostly eat fatty diets. They would kill buffalo and animals and they would eat these fatty diets. And because of that, their their mouths grew larger, their heads grew larger, and they really truly developed. And that's what I think is going on with wisdom teeth. A lot of th people think that's some kind of evolutionary thing that we're evolving past needing those teeth for whatever reason. But I think it's that... We're not getting the fats and the proteins that we need in our developmental ages. And so our jaws aren't developing the way that they should. So when that tooth finally comes in, it's too cramped. We're not getting the stuff we need. Fats are good. 
Fat is good for you. Um, you know, animal fats, it's good for you. Mm. We need it. Mm. It's not just protein. It is the fats that we need. Butter, when they started replacing margarine with butter, Ugh. everybody started to get overweight. It's like- I know, and it tastes so much worse. Yeah, we're so overweight as a country, and it's hard to stay slim. I mean, I'm I, I'm really worried. I mean, I started like, I, I've been like sick with my stomach for so long that I, I was staying pretty slim because I would get, my stomach would feel real bad, so I would stop eating and uh, would lose weight. But now I'm like, I feel good. I figured out what was going on and I feel good. So I'm just eating and I'm like, was really putting on the pounds and I'm like, it's hard. Mm -hmm. And it's not just that we're overeating. It's that the stuff that we're eating is not good mm -hmm. and we're overeating, but yeah. it's also not good. Well, we really went, I feel like this whole podcast was a bit of a rant. And uh, well, I have a little bit left of this article because I thought there was an right. interesting thing. Well, the baby's the crying. I know. Do you want to just wrap it up? Yeah, we'll go ahead and read that last okay. part. So this is in conclusion. It's easy to forget that the longest standing food peril for most of the planet has been not too much of the bad kind, but too little of any kind. The word famine tellingly does not appear in Van Tolkien's book. For most of human history, the prime experience of eating was not. Our great grandma, grand, our great grandparents may have come to the new world to escape famines in Europe. Into the 1960s, China under Mao was ravaged by large scale famines that cost the lives of perhaps 30 million people and cannot be blamed on planetary capitalism. There are worse things in the food world than ultra processing. Well, yeah. For sure. Starving, I'd rather eat processed food than starve. But I do think there is a such thing, and I don't have any proof of this, but I think there is a such thing of eating uh, and being full, but your body being starved of nutrients. Mm. Like you're, you're full and you're like, oh, I just ate, but your body did not actually get any of the nutrients that it needs. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, compared to Mao starving 30 million people. Doritos ain't so bad. <laughs> right. <laughs> sure. I'll give you that. Okay. This Tiananmen writer. Square or Ooh, Cool Ranch. This writer works. He works for the New Yorker. I mean, give this man a prize of some sort. Yeah. Is a Pulitzer a writing prize? <laughs> give him a writing prize of some sort. That man is a genius or woman. I don't know who it it's is. A man. But he's a genius. Adam Gopnik. Give it up for Adam Gopnik. I mean, that conclusion, hey, but at the end of the day, wouldn't you rather eat processed food than starve to death? <laughs> <laughs> oh, true. I mean, true. truer words have never been spoken. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'll be Sometimes honest. Sometimes you just got to break it down. Yeah. I mean, poison or nothing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, wow. That, mm -hmm. I mean, that is the type of intellectual. Uh, um, Let's be respectful. You know, he's out here riding. He's he's gigging. He's on the hustle, you know, and, he's, yeah. and he had a thoughtful approach and an interesting angle that we've discussed. Hey, in a small publication like The New Yorker, I'm sure it's hard to find good writers these mm -hmm. days. You know, just a small local publication mm -hmm. like this. You just, you know, in the city there of new york just mm -hmm. it's hard to find people i mm -hmm. bet just a mom and pop little publication yeah so but the book that he was commenting on i don't um, even know how they got it down to tennessee <laughs> well they mailed it 
from the good old post office. Uh, but in case anyone's interested in the book um, that he was criticizing, it's called Ultra Processed People by Chris Van Tolkien. All right. So that's it. But the baby Same is crying. Same guy that wrote Lord of the Rings. Mm. Mm. Good one, Dusty. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, thank you guys for listening. We're having a good time. <laughs>